This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. You all open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. What happens when human desperation meets Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 21 and following. If you are new today, we are walking through the gospel of Mark. And we have come to Mark 5, 21. We're going to finish the fifth chapter today. And we're going to see Jesus encounter two people, two desperate situations and reach into them with His power and love. And may He reach into your life today with His power and love. Mark 5, and let's begin reading at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about Him and He was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment, for she said, If I touch even His garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flood of blood, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. Taking her by the hand, 
he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your love, your compassion that meets us in our desperation. And as we look at these two incidents in Mark 5 today, we pray that you would help us to understand that you encounter us. That when we come before you, no matter the circumstances, that you are there to reach into our situation, however desperate it might be, with your compassion and your power. Encounter us today by the power of your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I'm most grateful for in life is to have been able to travel to two of the world's most impoverished countries, Bangladesh and Haiti. And when your plane touches down in Dhaka or Port-au-Prince, and you get off the plane, in a moment of time, your thankfulness for the kind of living that we have in our nation is just radically enhanced. And as you drive away from those airports through city streets, the word that was impressed upon me in both circumstances as I looked into the faces of those dear people was the, the word desperation. Contrary to what many people believe, these people are, are working. They're, they're working hard but most of them don't have the opportunity to work to get ahead. Instead, they're working just to survive. It's a desperate situation, and it's right there on the surface. And it's right here on the surface of this text. We see here uh, two situations where people come to Jesus in a state of absolute desperation. And we see what happens when human desperation meets Jesus. Now what do we see in this text? Let's look at the setting of it first of all. And it begins in verse 21. And the Bible says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him and he was beside the sea. So, last week... We were with Jesus as he journeyed to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And he was encountered by this man who was possessed with demons. And Jesus demonstrated his authority over demons. Now, he is back on the western side of the Sea of Galilee where he is going to demonstrate his authority over disease and death itself. Let's look at the action of what takes place here. Mark, as we've talked about, is the gospel of action. 
If you sit down and you read the 16 chapters of Mark, and you can do it in probably even less than an hour, what you see is that it is action scene after action scene. Mark's favorite words are immediately, and and at once, there's there's an urgency, just a fast-paced action to this gospel. And the end of chapter 4 and throughout chapter 5 is the epitome of that, because what have we seen? We've seen this violent storm raging on the Sea of Galilee, which Jesus stills with just a word of command. He then reaches the eastern side and and steps out of the boat and is immediately confronted by someone possessed with demons. And again, he speaks a word of command. And this man is delivered, released. And now he's back on the western side and, and, and immediately is confronted by these desperate situations. The action begins here in verse 22 and it just never stops. Look at verses 22 and following. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Jairus is described here as a ruler of the synagogue. That basically means that he was a layman who was in charge of selecting the people who would read scripture on the Sabbath, those who would pray on the Sabbath. He also had some responsibility in regard to the the building. Jairus is a well-respected man in the community. He has, he's an official in the community. But none of that means anything to him now. None of his achievements in life, none of his status in life mean anything. Because his precious little girl is in his house, lying on a bed, and she is at the point of death. In fact, the term here in verse 23, at the point of death, literally means at the last. In other words, she is on her last leg. You know, loving parents would take a bullet for their children without any hesitation. And Jairus here would gladly substitute himself for her if he could. If if they could trade places... And Jairus could take on this sickness so that she could be healthy. He would gladly do it with with no thought whatsoever. But he can't. What he can do is take the problem to the one who was eventually going to go to Jerusalem and trade places with all of us. Because Jesus is headed to Jerusalem eventually to do what? He's going to be our substitute. He's going to trade places with us. Jesus is going to take our infirmities on Himself. Jesus is going to take our death on Himself and in Himself so that we can live, so that we can be healed. And Jairus here knows that Jesus has the power to heal. He's probably personally witnessed some of the healings of Jesus. And he has the faith to believe. You can see it in his words here 
in verse 23. Come and lay your hands on her. He has the faith to believe. Now, now we tend to think that all of the the, uh, Jewish officials were in opposition to Jesus. That is not the case. Certainly it was the case with the leadership of the Pharisees who were already plotting the death of Jesus. But, but Jairus, even though he's kind of a part of that world, he cannot suppress the truth of what his eyes have witnessed. And Jairus at this point is not interested in winning the favor of the Pharisees. He's not interested in, in any career advance or currying the favor of the Pharisees. He's thinking about his precious little girl who is at the point of death. He's not thinking about anything else. What are you worried about today? What are the burdens that you've brought into this service, the, the anxieties that you've brought into this service today? Suppose you were to hear that something like this had happened to a child or to a loved one. Do you think you would still be worried about the stuff that you're worried about? So don't worry about it now. See, when something like this happens, priorities get really clear. And the things that are really important in life become really clear. And Jairus knows what's really important. And he's going to take this situation to Jesus and just put it in his hands. And Jesus is headed with him to his house. But then, just at this moment, another desperate uh, person approaches. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many positions and had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Let's talk about this woman. Verse 25 tells us, that she has been suffering this way for 12 years. It's ironic. This little girl has had 12 years of life, and this woman has had 12 years of suffering. And verse 25 tells us that that it was a discharge of blood. This was obviously some sort of female bleeding, and it it had been continuous for A dozen years. And in addition to the physical toll that it had taken upon her, there was an emotional toll. There was a social toll. In this culture, when a woman was going through her period, she was considered to be ceremonially unclean. She had to keep separate from other people. But see, this woman has had this condition continually perpetually and what that means is that she was an outcast she was a virtual leper in her community she'd done everything humanly possible that could be done she'd emptied her savings account 
She had gone to every kind of doctor and probably every kind of quack imaginable, every kind of home remedy, anything that she could try. And what's been the, the end result? She's not better. In fact, she's worse. It's worse than ever. But she says, if I can just touch the edge of his garment, I'll be made well. Maybe in her humiliation and in her shame, she just wants to maintain a sense of anonymity. But she just believes that she can just touch the edge of his clothing, that, that she can be made well. Now picture this scene. It's very, very clear in, in the Greek that this crowd is packed around Jesus. It's a huge crowd. They're, they're, they're packed around him. And so it's not just a matter of going up and, and touching the edge of his garment. She is going to have to fight to get close to him. And this is someone who's, she's not supposed to even touch anybody, right? But she has to touch many people to get to, to Jesus, trust me, because they're densely packed around him. But she is not to be denied she is absolutely determined that no matter, no matter what is standing in her way, that somehow she's going to make it to Him. Let me ask you this. What are the things that are standing in the way between you and greater intimacy with Christ? Too much television? Too much internet? Too much social media, too much Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, hobbies, recreational passions, habitual sins, workaholism, busyness. What are the things that are standing between you and greater intimacy with Jesus? What are the things in your life that are preventing you from drawing near to Him? Are you willing to simplify your life? Are you willing to, are you willing to cut that stuff out of the way so that you can draw near to Him? Because what's the promise of God's Word in James 4.8? The Bible promises, draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. Verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. It's interesting. The word disease here literally means it's the word that uh, we get the word uh, whip or lashing from. That's what this has been to her. This has been like a lashing. This has been like she's been beaten for years. And immediately she, she feels that she's been healed. And she's not the only one who is feeling something. Jesus is, 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 is feeling something. Verse 30. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said... Who touched my garments? And this just shows us the sensitivity of the Savior, right? 
He is so in tune with what's going on. He is so in tune to everything, so sensitive to everything that is happening in our lives, in your life. He knows that something's happened. The power has gone forth from him. And he wants to know. He wants to know who has been healed. Verses 31 and 32. And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. And in the original, it it, it literally says he kept looking. He was determined to know who it was, not because he was curious, not for his sake, but for hers. Because Jesus is not content just to sort of mechanically perform a miracle. Jesus wants to minister to a person. He doesn't want her to remain anonymous. He wants to personally touch her with his love. Verses 33 and following. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. See, Jesus knows exactly what she's been through. Jesus has been there through every tear that she's cried. He's been there there through every moment of her suffering. He addresses her here as daughter, which is uh, just an incredibly tender form of address. And he wants to reassure her that what she thinks she has Experience that she has in fact experienced. And he wants to do this in a very public way because he knows that her shame, her humiliation has been very public in nature. And he wants her healing and her restoration to be very public in nature as well. Now just as this beautiful scene is taking place, some, someone comes forward and speaks to Jairus. What's Jairus been doing during this time? He's probably very, very nervous. He knows the clock is ticking on the life of his daughter. And then someone approaches. And they approach with the words that every parent fears. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Try to imagine Jairus at this moment you know the blood just drains from his face probably a wave of nausea just rushes over him he probably feels like throwing up just just the just the absolute worse has happened and Jesus here being so sensitive so in tune to what is going on Jesus sees it and immediately, immediately intervenes. Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And literally, in the original, it's keep on believing. Keep on believing. You had the faith to come to me initially. Now keep on believing. Now why does this need to be said? Because death has happened. And death is considered to be the one thing that is irreversible. 
The, the temptation would have been to think, well, while she's still, as long as she's living, there's hope. Now there's no hope. Why bother the teacher any further? It's a done deal. Game over. Jesus knows. This is what Jairus is thinking. And so he says, keep on believing. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John. There are certain situations, we're going to see it at the Mount of Transfiguration as well, when Jesus will take the, just the inner core of the twelve disciples, Peter, James, and John. He takes this, this inner circle with him in certain circumstances. Let me ask you this. Are you ready for God to take you to certain places where deeper things can be revealed to you? Could He trust you with that? Are you ready for meat or do you still need milk? Are you, are you ready for Jesus to take you aside and take you deeper? That's what He's going to do with these three. And so he takes these three, Peter, James, and John, into this house and into this room. And so there's Jesus. There are these three. There's the mom and dad. And there's this little girl who is lying lifeless on this bed. Verses 38 and following. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now Jesus knows very well that the child is dead. Sleep is a gentle euphemism for death. That's part of the reason he uses this. The other thing that Jesus is communicating here is that sleep is not permanent. When we sleep, we expect to wake up. And Jesus is saying here that in him, death is not permanent either. Now, what was the reaction of these people that are gathered at the house? Verse 40, it says, they laughed at him. See, we tend to think, that you know these first century people, oh, you know, they had no problem believing in miracles. They had no problem believing in resurrection and things like that. Let me tell you, they didn't believe in things like resurrection any more than people in our culture do. They had the same anti-supernatural bias that all of us are wired with. You know, and, and we may claim to believe in God and believe in the supernatural, but... In our everyday experience, we all are wired to have a bias against it. Helen Rosevere was a missionary in the Congo, a medical missionary. And one night she was delivering a baby, premature baby, in the jungle. And the mom died during delivery. And so there was this premature infant that was going to have difficulty surviving and on top of that there was a two-year-old sister 
that now was without her mother and she was crying. And Helen knew that what this baby desperately needed was an incubator. They didn't have an incubator. Uh, And so she told one of the student nurses to go and get a hot water bottle. And, and, And when the student nurse came back, she was in a state of absolute panic because in the process of filling this hot water bottle, it had burst and it was ruined and it was the only one that they had. The next day, uh, Helen went to the uh, orphanage to pray with these kids. And she told them what had happened the night before. Told them about the mom dying. Told them about the, uh, the, the two-year-old sister. Told them about the, uh, the little baby and the need for a hot water bottle. And, and when they prayed, one of the kids... One of these little orphans, a little 10-year-old girl named Ruth, prayed like this. She prayed, God, please send a hot water bottle. And please send it today. It'll be no good tomorrow, God, because the baby is going to be dead. And so would you please send it today? And Helen said, I was, I was gasping inwardly at the audacity of this child's prayer. Because I knew the only way that it could possibly be answered would be if a parcel came from outside. And I had been there for four years at this point. I had never gotten a parcel. And if I did get a parcel, would anybody think to put a hot water bottle inside? But while she was still gasping at this child's audacity, Ruth continued her prayer. And she said, and God, would you please send a doll baby for the little sister so she'll know that you really love her. That afternoon, Helen was teaching a group of nurses and someone came in and told her that there was a car in front of her house. And she went outside and uh, the car was gone, but there's this parcel just right there on the ground. And the orphans gathered around, 30 or 40 of them, and they began to undo the strings of the parcel, and the excitement was building. And Helen began to reach in, and she pulled out some bandages that people had sent uh, for the patients, and some clothes for the orphans, and some food, and then she felt it. And she pulled out this brand new hot water bottle that Sunday school class that mailed days before and that was just getting there at that particular moment in time. And she began to weep. And at that point, little Ruth rushed forward and she reached in and she said, if God sent the hot water bottle, he must have sent the doll baby as well. And she reached in and she pulled out this beautifully dressed doll. And she said to Helen, she said, Mommy, would you go with me to give this doll to the little sister so she'll know how much Jesus loves her? And Helen Rosevere, this missionary, said, I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. Are you more like Ruth (laughs) or more like the mourners at the house of Jairus. We say we believe in the supernatural. We say that we believe that God answers prayer. But do we pray? And do we pray with boldness?
what happens here. They walk into the room. And what happens next is so beautiful, so holy, so tender and powerful that Mark, as he writes it, preserves it in the exact way that Peter, who was in the room, would tell this story. Remember the Gospel of Mark comes from who? It comes from Peter, who was in that room. And so Mark here is writing this down the, the exact way that Peter, as an eyewitness, had described it. To the point that he even preserves the original Aramaic of Jesus. Verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha cumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Talitha cumi is an Aramaic term, a very precious, tender term that, that, is used, that was used in that culture for little girls. Literally, it means little lamb. If you were to try to find like an English equivalent, it would be something like honey. And so Jesus basically is taking this little girl by the hand and he's saying, Honey, it's time to get up. Arise. It's the, word, it's the same word that is used for resurrection. Because eventually this is what Jesus is going to say to all who sleep in Christ, right? Arise. It's time to get up. You know, this week I saw something about this passage I had never seen before. As many times as I've studied it, never seen this parallel. It's, it's the parallel that we see between this passage and a couple of passages in the Old Testament where children are raised from the dead and given back to their parents who are in distress. One is an incident with the prophet Elijah. And the Bible tells us that Elijah goes into this room, and there's this child that's dead, and it tells us that Elijah stretched himself out on top of the child uh, three times and the child was raised given back to parent the other situation is with the prophet Elisha and in that situation Elisha much like Elijah stretches himself out upon this dead child and the text says it was like eye to eye mouth to mouth hands to hand and he stretches himself out on top of this child and he feels life beginning to return to the child. And then he gets up and then he gets back down and he repeats the process. And then the child opens eyes and sneezes. Now, in both of those situations, it's very, very clear. What stands out in both of those situations is that these prophets are completely dependent upon God to do this. They, they're pleading with God to do this. Jesus here, he doesn't even pray to God. What does he do? He issues a command. I say to you, arise! What has Mark been doing in this gospel? He's filling out the portrait of Jesus, right? He's answering the question, who is Jesus? What have we seen 
just at the end of chapter 4 and in chapter 5, we have seen Jesus speak directly to a raging storm and say, Peace be still! And there is dead calm. We've seen Jesus speak to the demons that are raging, the storm that is raging within this individual, this man, and there is absolute calm, and he's restored, and he's whole. And now we see Jesus speaking into death itself and overcoming it. What did God do at creation? He spoke. He commanded. And there was life and light. What does He do when He gives us new life, new creation? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus has spoken to bring light to our darkness, to bring life to our death. One day Jesus is going to speak and the dead in Christ will rise to life. And all this is possible because of what He's going to do. Listen, Jesus is going to Jerusalem to take our darkness in Himself, the darkness of our sin, so that we can have light. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to take our death upon Himself so that we can have life. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to rise from the dead so that one day when He comes again, He can say to us, Arise. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the, the compassion and power of Christ that can speak to us in our most desperate situations. As we just continue to reflect before Him now, may He speak to you right now. Maybe the need in your life today is to know Him as Savior and Lord and to turn to Him in repentance and faith. Perhaps today He's calling you to a, a, a deeper, closer walk with Him. What are the modifications in your life? What are the changes in your life that need to be made for that to happen? Maybe He's calling you today to say, I, I want to I be a part of the family of God. So we can't do this alone. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us in each of our situations today by your power and grace and love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God speaking to your heart about a decision to follow Christ, to be a part of this church family, or just a commitment that you need to make publicly, we invite you to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. 
Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.